0: Hi, everyone. My name is George Davis, and again, I want to thank you for joining us for this service of the Hershey Free Church, and welcome to the month of August. I don't know about you, but it really feels like this, this summer is moving quickly, and as we start a new month, we're also starting a new sermon series. Now, in my role here at Hershey Free, I also serve on the Board of Regents for our denomination's College and Divinity School, known as Trinity and at our last board meeting which was at the beginning of june uh, during one of the evening sessions i and another pastor on the board uh, led the board in a discussion about a biblical understanding of human sexuality we talked about human sexuality and marriage from a biblical perspective uh, that god's design for marriage involves uh, a, a relationship between a man and a woman and this is the context in that is appropriate for sexual expression so we talked about that from a biblical perspective and the importance of understanding how the bible frames these issues now to be honest with you i realize at times some of you have wondered well you know is our where's our church or is our church moving on this issue in terms of marriage and sexuality likewise perhaps some of you have even wondered about our denomination where is our denomination at on these kinds of issues and one of the reasons i tell this story is just to make sure you understand that uh, as a church and as part of a larger movement of churches known as the evangelical free church of america our our commitment to a biblical understanding of marriage and a biblical understanding of human sexuality is rock solid it hasn't changed it's not changing and to be honest with you this is this is part of the reason we were having this conversation at trinity with the board of regents because the truth is, uh, the day may come when our commitment to scripture creates complications for us in this area, and uh, and and we wanted to be prepared for that. So we had a really robust conversation with the board of regents that evening about human sexuality. And after that, after that session was over, I got a ride back to to our hotel, and I was tired, got into my hotel room, kind of put, you know, put all my stuff down, and and just to unwind a bit, I turned on the TV. I don't remember, I don't remember the channel, but I'm kind of just kind of not fully watching, but uh, getting ready for bed, and, and I kid you not, within five minutes of turning on the television, there was a commercial that just presented a very different view of human sexuality than, than I had been espousing and talking about in that meeting with the board of regents uh, just a different approach entirely and and I was I was standing there for a moment it's like it just hit me in the gut I mean there was just kind of like this physical response almost like you ever know those experiences where it feels like somebody just put a heavy weight on your chest and you just kind of feel something internally in a very physical way And, and just for a moment that's that's how I responded to what I was watching in light of the conversation that, that I just had. There just there was a sense of weightiness, the weightiness of realizing how polarized our culture has become on a variety of issues. The weightiness of, of just being reminded that, you know, as followers of Christ, we've, we've been called to live out our faith in, in a time when people are more and more divided. And called to live out our faith in in an environment that is becoming more pluralistic and and even at times more skeptical or hostile towards Christianity. And in some ways, it seems that the last 18 months have simply accelerated uh, these kinds of trends and changes in our culture. Now, last month, uh, as as we began talking about coming out of the pandemic, however long that takes, but as we began talking about coming out of the pandemic, we we talked primarily about how to do that well individually. Well, this month, we're going to talk about what it looks like for us to come out and move forward well as a church. What does it look like for us to move forward well corporately? How do we as a church move into a post-pandemic world that's really what we're going to be talking about in this new series entitled a united church in a divided world and as we begin I, i want to start with this question what is the greatest threat to the church today how would you how would you answer that question Maybe, maybe you would say, well, right in front of us, right in front of our church, right in front of a lot of churches, is just the reality of COVID and all the disruptions that have come with it. That's been true for churches across the board, and, and that includes us. I mean, you're aware, I think many of you, that as, as we are moving forward, I mean, there, there are financial challenges that are in front of us. And this is part of the reason we've invited you to take a 1% step. That is, uh, we're inviting you to increase your giving by 1% of your income. So if you've been giving... Zero percent to give one percent. If you've been giving three percent to give four percent, just one percent, one penny for every dollar to take a step and and helping to continue to fund our mission and helping us to move forward together. And I just want to encourage you to do that. So maybe you would say, you know what, George, the greatest the greatest threat to the church right now is just COVID and all the complications that that have come with it. Maybe you say, no, the greatest threat to to church is, is just the cultural shifts that we've experienced issues like human sexuality and you know for those of us who embrace a biblical framework it can seem like more and more we're out of step with the broader culture and that creates new kinds of pressures and maybe you would say you know what that's the that's the greatest threat these cultural shifts maybe you would say no the greatest threat to church are its own internal failures I mean, tragically, and we just got to be honest about this, but tragically, particularly over the last few years, it's, it's become apparent that at times churches really don't do a good job of of handling internal failures well, including issues of abuse. And there are other things that um, we could say along those lines. So maybe you would say, you know, one of these areas is, is the greatest threat to the church today, and we could continue that conversation, I'm sure we could add other things to the list, but, but I think when we would read the New Testament, and, and, and we pay attention, right, to those letters written to early churches of the Christian movement, it becomes apparent that there really is something we have to take seriously when we wrestle with this question. Something that, that we've got to put high on our list. Something I think we need to be aware of as we move into a post pandemic world. And that threat is this it is the threat of disunity. I mean, it's clear the early Christian movement right, took place in the first century and it was developing in a challenging environment of the Roman Empire. There were all sorts of cultural pressures. Let, yet even given all of those ongoing realities, as you read the New Testament letters, a theme that just echoes throughout these pages is the importance of unity. And, and the truth is, if, if we are to come out of this well, If we are to engage our broader community well, this region well, I think we need to be united. To give one example, if you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. So Ephesians chapter 4 in the New Testament. And as you turn there, uh, let me just summarize part of what Paul says earlier in the letter. Uh, So, before we get to Ephesians 4, let me just summarize part of what's going on in Ephesians chapter 2. As as this section of the letter opens, um, Paul really begins by talking about (laughs) what you might call the way of the world. He reminds these early followers of Christ that, you know, previously your life was simply defined by the brokenness around you, right? You were dead um, in your sins. And he said, you walked according to the ways of this world so he kind of begins just by saying don't you remember you were you were part of the brokenness around you you were you were dead and this is the culture of which you were a part But then the tone changes as you uh, get farther into this passage. In verse 4, he begins talking about uh, new life in Christ. Because he says, you were dead, but now you've you've been made alive. And it's this section of Ephesians 2 that includes that famous statement, for by grace are you saved through faith. Unfortunately, when we talk about God's work of salvation, we often stop there and we don't follow the, the argument that Paul is making. We don't we don't follow the flow of the entire section because Paul moves from talking about new life in Christ to talking about new community in Christ and the new community that Christ is creating. He talks about how God, through the work of Christ, is now bringing Jews and Gentiles, people from different backgrounds, together. And, and he's forming one community. And as he builds to this idea of community and the unity that we have in Christ, here's the way this section of the letter closes. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. And understand, most of the people who would have received this letter were were. Gentile by background so he's saying look you're no longer you're no longer foreigners and strangers to God's plan but you're now fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone now notice this image the image is now Christ is bringing you together and it's like you're, you're being built together as a temple in that results in praise and worship of God in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So Paul says, look, this, this is what God is doing. Right? He, he is bringing people into relationship with Christ and bringing them into relationship with Christ. He's also creating a new community that brings glory to God. Now, once again, notice, notice the flow of what Paul says in this section of the letter, right? He began by describing a, the world in which they are a part, the brokenness of that world. And then he describes how God's rescue plan is now underway through the work of Christ and, and, and the work of his spirit so that people are being made alive in relationship to God. A rescue plan that not only gives them new life, but also a new community, now, in, in light of, the, of this flow of this part of the letter, think about what Paul is saying here. Among other things, he is showing us this. What, what is God's response to a broken world? What is God's response to a broken world? Right? A broken world? <laughs> it's an unainted church. It's, it's communities of people who are living in new ways as they have been made alive by God's Spirit, and, and He will describe that in more detail as He moves into the second half of this book. In a similar way, what is, what's God's plan for a post-pandemic world? What what's God's plan for us? in a moment when it it seems like some of these cultural realities and changes are accelerating, where things around us are becoming more polarized, more tribal. What what is God's plan for this moment? I, I truly believe God's plan for a divided world is a united church. And the truth is, our divided world Our divided communities around us need churches like us to step up and embrace this vision. Now, just please hear me. um, Please hear me clearly on this because, you know, as we we have been thinking and praying about next steps as, as we are coming out of this experience and moving forward, as we've been wrestling with that, here at church, as I've been wrestling with that in, in my role, I've got to be honest with you. I, I just have this deepening sense <laughs> that, that this is what God's plan looks like. This vision of, of being built together, being joined together, being brought together in a way that that brings glory to God. Being brought together in our mission in a way that has a positive impact on on our community. I think this is this is God's vision for Hershey Free Church as we move forward. Now, let me also be clear: there's no question. There are challenges facing us in this journey. I've already talked about the finances. Likewise, you know, let's just be honest. In the course of this experience over the last year and a half and the different things we've faced, some people have left, new people have come. And in reality, as, as we move out of this and move into a post-pandemic world in different ways, we're going to be a, a different church. And as our context has changed, we're, we're going to need to learn to do some things differently in living out our mission well. For instance, in, in moving forward, our, our online presence is just going to be a continuing part of who we are as a church community. Even now, we're making plans to start live streaming our services later this year. And I think as, as, as we move forward, there are going to be different things we have to learn and, and different adjustments we have to make, but in the midst of it all, I think, I think this is God's vision. This is what, what I'm committed to. This is what I want to help you and us experience together. The reality that even in the midst of this broken world, we are being built together <laughs> to become a dwelling place in which God's spirit lives. Now, not surprisingly then, after showing us, right, that God's, plan for this broken world is a united church when you get to the second half of the book when you get to the second half where Paul begins giving direct guidance and instruction an early theme that Paul hits in giving direction to these churches is the theme of unity so let's now come to Ephesians chapter 4 Here's how this section of the letter begins as Paul is now directly giving these Christians guidance in how to live out uh, who they are. He writes, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now hear that again. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, notice several things here. First, notice... As Paul begins to give them direct instruction, he says, I want you to live a life worthy of your calling. Live a life that now reflects your new relationship with Christ. But even as he talks about calling here, he also talks really corporately about the fact that, you know, you've been called together to one hope when you were called. And so it becomes clear, I think, in this passage that to be called to be a follower of Christ is also to be called into community, right? He he can move seamlessly from talking about being related to Christ to being related to one another. And the reality is this. I think Paul would say, you know what? You you can't take Christ seriously without taking his church seriously. They are interrelated. Furthermore, notice this wording again, right? He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Notice he doesn't say, I want you to work at creating unity. He says, no, I want you to I want you to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. And, and what he is uh, getting at here is this this unity has already been created. <laughs> this unity has already been given to you. If you were a follower of Christ, you've been been brought into this unity that the cross creates and that the spirit applies to our lives. So now then, Paul is saying, I I want you, in light of what's been given to you, to to make every effort to keep this. That idea of making every effort, the term used, uh, among other things, it communicates the idea of being diligent. Uh, He's saying, I want you to be diligent in this. I want you to prioritize this. In some contexts, this language actually communicates the idea of movement, right? I want you to lean into this. I want you to move in this direction. Paul is saying, look, whether you realize it or not, when you became a follower of Christ, this is what happened. You were brought into a new relationship with God and a new relationship with others. Now, I want you to lean into that truth. I want you to prioritize that truth. I want you to pay attention to that. And so notice what Paul does in this paragraph, right? He he, the big idea uh, is uh, to live a life worthy of your calling, which means you, you need to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. And then in essence, he gives the rationale for this expectation for this command. Why? Why do we do this? Because you know what? There's one body, one spirit, one hope. In fact, there are seven times he, he uses the word one. And he's, he's saying, look, you've got to take this seriously because this is what you have been called into. Now, at this point, um, maybe you're saying, look, I get it. Unity is important. Okay, I got it. But what does that mean? What does this look like? I mean, what does he mean by unity? What, what, is, this, what is actually Paul getting at? And here's what I think he's getting at. He's getting at the truth that through the gospel, through the the work of Christ that we experience through his spirit, we are unified in a shared identity and a shared mission, right? The gospel, the work of Christ and his spirit creates a shared identity and a shared mission. Remember what he said at the beginning. He said, I want you to live a life worthy of your calling. So first of all, he talks about calling. That's who you are. That's your identity. And then he says, now you need to live out your calling. <laughs> and, and that's your mission. And again, what he does in the, the rest of the book is really unpack what that looks like in more detail. so his his challenge to us is, "Look, you, I want you to understand you are you are in this together through the work of christ you 've now participate in this unity, you participate in this shared identity and shared mission now, in understanding this, maybe it would be helpful to also kind of highlight what this is not. So, let me just mention a couple of things that this is not <laughs> what this is not first of all, this is not unity at any cost it 's not unity." At, at any cost for instance it's not a unity that says I'm willing to sacrifice the message of the gospel so as you read for instance Paul's letters you will, describe, you will find he, he talks a lot about the importance of unity but he also talks about the danger of teaching that is not in line with the message of the gospel so it's not a unity at any cost in that it sacrifices the message of the gospel. Likewise, I think it's, it's not a unity at any cost in that it's, it's really willing to sacrifice the mission. Frankly, I've seen some churches where you know, we talked about being united and we feel like we, we're united, but the truth is we're united because we're not doing anything we're not moving forward and anytime someone raises an objection about anything we just stop and so the unity here doesn't involve actually embracing our mission as a church so this isn't unity at any cost furthermore this unity is not uniformity sometimes you may think you know what unity means we have to all be alike uh, we have to act alike. We have to agree on everything. And, and maybe you get that feeling in some churches. And I realize maybe some of you have felt that even at our church. Well, you've got we've got to all be the same. But we need to understand from the very beginning. From the very beginning, the message of Jesus. Was a message that brought different types of people together. I mean, just step, you know, just step into uh, just step into the early ministry of Jesus for a moment just imagine you can kind of step into that scene with jesus and maybe there are crowds but also around him you know crowds of different people in galilee but also around him are p- people that were closer to him including those early disciples and you look over there and there's a guy maybe he kind of impresses you he, he seems to be more fluent seems his, his clothing just seems to communicate a, a bit of social standing and and success and you find out okay You know who that is? That's Matthew. He's a tax collector. And among other things, that meant he was kind of part of the system, the establishment. He apparently was involved in collecting taxes in northern Galilee, maybe in a border town, and there were border taxes. So in essence, he was part of the employee structure of the Herods, who were, you know, kind of puppet kings in that region. And and he also undoubtedly would have, in some sense, been viewed as part of the broader Roman structure and... And to a lot of Jews, people like him were viewed as traitors. So Matthew, Matthew's over there. And then, but right over here, there's a guy, <laughs> he looks a little more scraggly. You kind of look at him and, and you can just tell by his gestures and the way he moves. This guy's kind of bigger than life. He's got a lot of energy. He's pretty opinionated, even as you watch him in conversation with other people. That's another guy that was a disciple. His name is Simon. But the Gospels also give us a descriptor because there are multiple Simons in Jesus' life. So to identify this guy, he is referred to as Simon the Zealot. Now, you need to understand the Zealots would develop into a nationalist movement. These were people that were against the establishment. These were people who wanted to minimize Roman influence and Roman control over Palestine. And and this movement would ultimately kind of take shape and blossom into a full-fledged revolt a generation later. Now, when when you see these two guys around Jesus... You've got to understand, in in the first century, you just can't get more polar opposite than that. I mean, imagine today walking into a small group setting and and one guy is wearing a MAGA hat and another person is wearing a Biden-Harris t-shirt. Wouldn't that kind of raise some questions in your mind? (laughs) Wouldn't wouldn't you start to wonder, I wonder what kind of conversations these folks have, and I I wonder how these people interact, and I wonder what can actually bring these people together. The truth is, we're going to actually see over the course of this series how how that can be the case, and how do we engage one another well when we disagree on certain things, but we need to understand clearly that the the unity in the New Testament is not uniformity. Finally, I'll just highlight one other thing that this unity is not, and that is this. It is not the absence of conflict. And this shouldn't surprise us because if the gospel really is bringing different kinds of people together, people from different backgrounds and, and people who, while they may agree on the message of Jesus, disagree on other areas. If, if the gospel is really bringing those kinds of people together, it's, it's going to generate disagreement, different kinds of perspectives, you know, uh, different, different ways we think through certain issues. We're going to talk specifically more about this next week, but I think this is what you see in the pages of the New Testament. There are several clear passages in, in, in the letters of the New Testament where, where churches are really having to deal with this. How do, we, how, do we, how do we engage one another well when we disagree on certain things? So we're going to talk about that more next week, but that was true in the pages of the New Testament. It's true in churches today. It is true in our church right now, and this shouldn't surprise us. Our, our unity doesn't necessarily prevent that. We are going to have disagreements. We are going to have conflict. But, but what our unity does in those moments is it invites us to lean into our shared mission and our shared identity. So Paul says this. You live, you, you live in a divided world. And what your world needs is a united church. So I want, you, I want you to make every effort as a follower of Jesus to do that. I want you together to really lean into your shared identity and your shared mission. So, So how do we make every effort? What does that look like? <laughs> well, actually, that's what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. Here's how this series is going to unfold. Over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about engaging one another well. I mean, how do we, how do we engage in a divided world where you and I at times are going to disagree on some things? How do we, how do we engage each other well within a church context? And then in weeks three and four, how do we engage our broader community well right how do we live out our shared identity our shared mission as a church in 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 a community in a context that is becoming more divided and more polarized but what i want to leave you with today and kind of kind of maybe how i want to set the stage for this month as we work through uh different passages of scripture what I really want to leave you with today is, is really the starting point for taking this seriously. It's, it's the starting point. It's, it's, it's the context in which I think we can learn and be empowered to live out this identity, to live out our shared identity and mission. And that context is this. It's, it's abiding. It's resting in God's love. Right. If if, if, we're, if we make every effort <laughs> to keep this unity, if we're going to learn to kind of live out our shared identity, our shared mission, even in the polarized realities that we experience. I think I think we have to be <laughs> aware of God's love. We got to rest in that. We have to have a growing awareness that we are deeply loved by God. And I don't think it's accidental. Pay attention to this, but I don't think it's accidental that right before this command to unity at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul prays for the people who are receiving this letter. And in his prayer, he talks, about, he talks about love. But what's fascinating is this. His prayer is not that they would love God more. Of course, he wants that to happen. But that's not the focus of his prayer. His prayer is not that they would love God more. His prayer is that they would know more of God's love. And, and, and I don't think that's surprising because he, Paul understands, you know what? It's, it's, it's God's love that empowers us to lean into this unity it's God's love that empowers us to lean into our shared identity and shared mission it's God's love that can kind of empower us to lean into hard situations and hard conversations even when it's so much comfortable just to back out it's it's God's love that can empower us to lean into our, our our sense of mission in our broader community even even when at times maybe we feel like the odd person out or Even at times when it it feels like people think very differently than we do. All of this, all of this is is to be empowered through the work of the Spirit as we gain a deepening sense of God's love. So as we get started this month, maybe my challenge to you is, is to be intentional in leaning into God's love. Because that's, that's going to be the context in which we can really embrace this unity. That's the context in which we can move forward in living out our identity and mission. Now, I don't know what this looks like for you. Maybe that's a good question for you to ponder even now. What is it that helps me lean into God's love? What is it that helps remind me of God's love? And I, I just, I would mean just particularly in August, as we are talking along these lines of unity, I encourage you to build build rhythms into your life or, or do certain things that just help remind you of God's love. Maybe there, there are certain passages of Scripture. Maybe just being more intentional in getting into Scripture uh, kind of helps you do that. I think even, even for my wife and I, you know, just a few days ago, just hiking with friends and just, just the, you know, just getting out into the wonder of God's creation and the beauty of this region—it was just, just—it was just in some ways life-giving. And and so whatever whatever that can look like for you, I, I encourage you to. Hey, I, w- I want to lean into God's love because as I do that, that's that's going to help me process what we're going to be talking about as we think about being a united church. I want to lean into God's love because that really can encourage me to live out our shared identity and, and our shared sense of mission. So that's really how I want to challenge you as we get this series started. Let's embrace this together. Because first of all, this is who we are. See, God has already given us this unity. We, we are now to lean into it. This is who we are. Furthermore, this is what our community is This is what our region needs from us. You see, a a divided world needs a united church. With that in mind, um, I'm going to close in prayer. And and I want to close in prayer with this prayer that Paul prays from Ephesians chapter 3. And really, I just want you to know that as we go through... uh, as we go through this series together, I'm just going to, personally, I'm just going to be camped out in some ways in this prayer. I'm going to come back to this prayer throughout the month. And this this is, this is how I'm praying for us. This is, this is how I'm praying for you. So listen to these words of Paul the Apostle. I pray that through, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and i pray that you being rooted and established in love now listen to this may have power together with all of god's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of god Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's our prayer. That's our prayer for us as we come out of this pandemic. That's our prayer as we move into a post-pandemic reality. Because what our divided world needs is for Hershey Free to be a united church. Amen.